Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Beyond the Pink Cloud. This is your host, Dr. Alice Kirby. And with me today, I have Angela Pugh. She is a master coach and a recovering alcoholic. She's also the host of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. Angela, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Well, hello. Thank you so much for having me. So I would love if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and about your own journey um, as a recovering alcoholic and how that brought you to doing the work that you're doing now with um, being a master coach and with your podcast. If you could just share a little bit about your own story. Absolutely. So I got sober in 2006 and it was not easy for me to get to that place of getting sober. It was its own journey. And I think ultimately what got me there, I knew for a few years really that I needed to quit drinking. Um, my drinking got very ugly and dark and depressed and I knew I needed to give it up. But I feel like we have this thing where conceptually I could understand that you stop drinking, right? Like don't take the next drink. But it's like, okay, well, not taking the next drink takes like four seconds. Like, what do I do then? You know, like I have mm -hmm. all these hours in the day. And that's the part I couldn't really wrap my head around, uh, even though I knew I needed to stop forever. So my motivation was pretty big. I uh, had a car accident and I crashed my car at 70 miles an hour. Wow. And it was very ugly. Uh, I thought that I had killed the person that I hit partially because I couldn't understand how I didn't because I hit him at 70 miles an hour. Um, and it was, it was a really, really ugly moment. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that was my final final. And I can't say that I really had a plan to be honest. I knew from that moment, the epiphany for me was I knew I could hurt myself drinking and I had hurt myself in various ways drinking, right? I always called them drunk bumps, you know, you stumble mm. and fall down or whatever, smash my finger in something when I'm trying to cook drunk or something. Like I understood that I could cause myself harm in various ways, but it really never crossed my mind that I could hurt somebody else. And that was really the moment, the night of my accident, standing on the side of the freeway going, holy crap, like this is not this is not who I'm supposed to be, you know? Mm -hmm. And I always talk about that moment too. And thinking like, I really was thinking like, I have to call my mom and tell my mom that I just killed somebody. Like, how do you do that? I'm the greatest mom on the planet. Like, how do you call your mom and tell her that, you know, like her heart is going to break in, in a split second. And the enormity of that really just made me get my act together. It also put me in a position that I was really 150% committed to not drinking. I didn't care what happened. I didn't care how bad I may have felt. I didn't care what circumstances were. I was not going to drink again. And the only thing I knew to do was go to 12-step meetings. And the only thing I knew about 12-step meetings is that's where people went to not drink anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where I went. <laughs> and I think for me, what brought it around to being my career is in my first year to year and a half of sobriety through working with a sponsor and really being committed to my recovery and dedicating myself to that and showing up every day and doing that work, I saw myself turning into this really amazing human being. And I never thought I was even capable of being a good human being, more or less a really good one, you know? And 
I just felt so much lighter in my life and I had hope for my future for the first time ever. I'd know, I hadn't had that since I was a kid probably. So I knew pretty early in my recovery that I wanted my life to revolve around recovery. I didn't know exactly what that was going to look like, but I did. The first thing I did was life coach certification because I had always been fascinated with that and self-help. And I followed Tony Robbins from the time I was very, very young and had read his books. Mm -hmm. I mean, he really was the first super guru, like life coach, you know? So I had followed him since I was a teenager and, um, me too, you know? actually. <laughs> That's yeah, funny. And I, yeah. I was always just really enthralled with that whole self-help kind of thing. And, and 12 step just played into that, right? Mm -hmm. It gave me a sense of control in my journey that I really loved. I'm a control freak. So I loved feeling like I had a say in what my life was going to look like. So I got certified as a life coach. I don't know that I ever thought I would do it as my job. I think I was more intrigued and just wanted the knowledge for myself. Where did you go for your life coaching certification? What program did you go through? I went through Certified Coaches Federation. And, and it was a long time ago. <laughs> was, I mean, that was I think 12 or 13 years ago now. So that was the first thing I did. And, and then it kind of evolved from there. From that point, uh, the television show Intervention came out. And I literally was sitting in my living room late one night and the, the show intervention came on and I literally felt drawn like this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm. So then my journey shifted to how do I become an interventionist? Like what education do I need? What certification do I need? What training do I need? And, uh, and then that ate up some years. <laughs> like, <laughs> what like, kind of training did you go through for that? Well, I'll tell you, intervention is very similar to life coaching where it's an unregulated field. Mm. So there isn't it, really anybody can decide to be an interventionist. I do not recommend that because intervention is a very intricate process and there's a lot of strategy involved and you have to really know what you're doing and you have to be very quick on your feet and, and you have to know how to guide people and lead people and do it in a strong way at the same time in a very loving and compassionate way, you know, so intervention's a challenge, but what I did is I went to one of the big trainings uh, with Ken Seeley, because of course I saw him on the show Intervention. It's another interventionist, uh, John Southworth, who is a world-renowned interventionist that I met along my journey, and he really took me under his wing and taught me a lot about the business side of intervention, and he was such a great asset, and he passed, unfortunately, but um, just an integral part of my journey for sure. And I just started studying it. And then I reached out to some other interventionists and I said, listen, if I pay my own travel, can I come and like sit in the corner while you mm. do an intervention? Because I just, I am an, a classic overachiever and I have to do the best job possible. So I really wanted to see it in action and have a feel for what I was doing. And, uh, and that piece of my career just took off from there. That's a, such a wonderful way to learn too. It's what I always advise um, anyone really with, you know, business or pleasure. If you want to get better at something, find someone who's already doing it, ask if you can ask them questions, ask if you can watch them do it. Uh, I think it's, for me, that's one of the best ways to learn. And I'm curious too, if you could just speak a little bit more about 
what it is to be an interventionist. Like I have an idea of what that is to guide someone through interventions. Um, but maybe if you could just share a little bit more about, you know, what that is or how do people find you for that kind of work? Yeah. So I've been doing interventions for 11 years now, I think. And, um, it is one of, uh, it is some of the best work that I do. I mean, I absolutely love the process and, what happens typically a family will reach out to me. They have a loved one that really needs to go to treatment, but has been resistant to those conversations with family. To be honest with you, family members are the worst people to have those conversations with an addicted person because we, I always say I speak addict. It's very easy for me to communicate with another addicted person partially because I have a hundred years of training and communication and partially because we have the same personality because I'm an addict too. Right. So I know what those trigger points are. I know what itty bitty tiny word is going to come out of your mouth. That's going to make their defenses shoot up. And I know how to keep it very mellow and kind. I just speak their language. So also as an outsider and a completely objective party, there's no emotional baggage with me. Where with the family, you have all these years that you've hurt your family, disappointed your family. You have so much guilt and shame that you're never going to hear a message from your family. It's just really hard. So families will reach out to me. They have someone that needs to go to treatment and they, they want to have a really good constructive conversation and get a good result. And a big piece of intervention really is that coaching with the family, because I have a certain energy that I want in that room. When we walk in to have that conversation, I need it to be a very specific way. Mm. It has to be relaxed. It has to be casual. It has to be, it has to be completely just not alarming at all. So I do a lot of coaching with the family about these are things that we don't say. We're not talking about these issues. This isn't family therapy. We want to stay on track. We have one goal. I'm going to do the majority of the talking. And I really try to just lead them to be comfortable at the same time, taking the pressure off of them because that's what they hire me for, right? I can handle the pressure. I think it's hard too, because the family members always see it's their loved one. See, for me, when I walk in that room, my direct adversary is addiction. Mm. And I know how to win a chess match with addiction. <laughs> you know, the family members get so caught up in their fears because, I mean, it can't be easy to look at your child and have a fear every day that you're going to lose them. So I get to be rational and logical and really go up against addiction uh, in a powerful way where families don't necessarily have that ability. So we just coach around that and things to say, things not to say. We schedule the intervention. We have everything lined up in advance. So we've already picked a treatment center. There are letters just like you see on the TV show. And I walk them through that step-by-step. Step. I have worksheets to help with that and sample letters. Mm. So we are really prepared when we walk in that room. Everybody is pretty comfortable um, and we get to just have a nice conversation that's really pretty loving. I mean, it's never, it's never, an intervention with me is never like we're forcing somebody to do something. I just want to have a conversation and I want to tell you what I know about addiction, what my experience has been, what my experience is with treatment, what I know about that. And really we've created a team for that loved one and we just want them to join their own team. 
that's really all it is. That's a nice way of putting it and to talk about battling addiction versus going up against a person or a personality, because I think that's where we can really run into trouble. For sure. Um, that's wonderful work. And you've had, I would imagine you've had good success where like at the, I'm curious at the end of that, how that goes down. If the person is, um, I would imagine willing, willingness comes into play. Cause I know that's how it is for a lot of people and how it was for me in early recovery. It's where you get to a point of, you've got a little bit of hope, but you really become willing to try something different. For sure. And I think presenting information in a way that isn't alarming mm-hmm. and is comfortable, right? Where they really feel like they have some control in a situation. You never want to make an addicted person feel like you're trying to make them do something. Yeah. You know, I'm 47 years old. I've been sober a long time. And I always say, don't ever tell me I have to do something. And don't tell me I can't do something. Because my little inner five-year-old will come flying out with a mm-hmm. temper tantrum of some sort. And that's just who I am. So it's really laying out the information in a way where that person feels like they're totally a part of the process, even though we've already done all the work and we have it lined up and and we're leaving right now. (laughs) As soon as as they say yes, like we've already bought the plane tickets. Um, But it's just so they understand we're not forcing you to do anything. We just want you, we wanted to put something together where all you had to do was say, okay. Yeah. And that makes it very, very easy, which I think for people, like you said, with your own experience, most people know that they have some kind of a problem and, and hopefully there's some desire to quit in there. I know there was for me for quite a while and for a lot of the other um, people that I speak with that are now in recovery. So I think having that bridge of here's some tools, here's another person relating to you who's been through it, it offers a lot of hope for somebody. And maybe, maybe it makes it easier than like walking alone into a 12 step meeting or having to go through the process, even of finding out where there are 12 step meetings. I know that's scary for a lot of people to just even, you know, walk through the door. So having that additional support, um, I can imagine is life changing. Yeah. And I always say to families too, I'm like, you know, I'm typically the only other addicted person in the room. So Mm -hmm. I'm just as much that person's teammate as I am the family's teammate you know, because we speak the same language and we are the same. And nine times out of 10, I take the person, like I fly them all the way to the treatment center. So it's not like we do the intervention and go drop them off at the airport. Like never, ever, ever do that. You know, that is not after something emotional like that in a conversation that serious and that heavy, you don't ever want to just leave somebody to their own devices, right? It's just not going to go well. And it's not kind, to be honest. It's just not nice, you know? And usually that travel is the most fun part because then we just get to connect as people Mm -hmm. and as addicted people. And we get to have great conversation and I can break down the treatment process and what that looks like and what to expect and try to dispel a lot of those fears so they have a really good attitude walking in the door because that's really the deciding factor is like you said, your level of willingness and if your attitude is good or if it's really crappy, it's no different than walking into a 12-step meeting. If I walk in with an open mind, I'm going to have a very different experience than if I walk in thinking it's weird and everybody in there is weird and it's creepy (laughs) and whatever, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's true with most things in life. Like the attitude we bring to it really shapes our experience. Definitely. 
And I'm curious, I know before we started the recording, we were talking a little bit about um, mindset, mindset, and then you've talked a little bit about Tony Robbins and your interest in self-help. Like as you've gone through your own recovery and you're doing more coaching, what are some of the bigger, I guess, like self-care practices or even mindset shift practices that you continue to engage with you know, on a daily basis? I always like to hear what people's daily rituals are or regular rituals are for not so much maintaining sobriety, but I guess practicing sobriety as well as just practicing general self-care. Yeah. Well, you know, I think too, after you've been sober for a while, it all just becomes the same thing Mm -hmm. because the truth is I, I don't get to have anything else if I don't stay sober. So in all of my self help personal development stuff that I do, um, my sobriety is just a natural part of that. You know, I am a believer in that I cannot ever forget that I am an addicted person and I have to do something every day to feed and nurture my sobriety and feed my recovery and make sure I'm keeping it strong. So I have, this is funny because I talk about this stuff so much. Um, (laughs) I have, I actually put my daily routine into a thing called the recovery recipe. And it literally is the six things that I do on a daily basis. And it's pretty simple, you know, feed your sobriety, feed your brain, feed your body, feed your spirit, feed your gratitude. Um, And a lot of those things can be combined into one action, but I'm a big visualizer. You know, a lot of people are into meditation. I'm more visualization, which is its own form of meditation, but really visualizing my day and my future and what I want it to look like and what it's going to feel like. Whenever I'm going into an intervention, I will spend at least 20 minutes in a good meditative visualization of let the words come to me. Let me be a vessel for this family. Let me convey this message. Let me be able to make sure this person stays comfortable and feels safe and, and can feel some hope in what we're doing. You know, I visualize all of that stuff and same thing with any big meetings that I have. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's definitely a part of it for me. And listen, sometimes I may only squeeze that in for two or three minutes, but I would rather do two minutes than zero minutes. And maybe I squeeze in two minutes of some of these little positive things a few times throughout the day. Um, The more I can do it, the better the outcome is, obviously. But I'm really big on mindset. I have um, YouTube videos. I'm obsessed with YouTube inspirational videos. And I have a whole folder on YouTube. And I just save videos as I come across them. And I like videos that you don't have to actually watch. <laughs> it's, uh-huh. more, <laughs> and it's more about the message because, of course, I like to do five things at once. But um, I definitely listen to a video every day, again, for at least a couple of minutes. Um, I try to do something self-care every day, whatever that looks like. I mean, sometimes I'll have it on my to-do list, like clean out the junk drawer in the kitchen. Mm. You know, it might only take me 10 minutes, but it's something that I'm doing that helps me feel like I'm keeping my life in order and I'm on top of things. It's also a few minutes that I'm setting the phone aside, that the computer is shut down because I have a really hard time disconnecting. And I try to make sure I'm always involved in something that is just fun. And Hmm. obviously that may not be every single day, but at least once a week, I try to make sure that I do something that's just feeding my spirit, you know? 
I think that's so necessary too. We have to do that. And it's, it's easy, like you said, with just being overconnected, you know, especially when you're running an online business or a lot of the work that you do is, is online. Um, I've been finding that lately as well. It's, I really am starting to need to like put boundaries on my phone and computer time because it gets, I'm always like, oh great, like this person's doing this with me and they're excited. I'm getting, and it's all really wonderful. I'm getting great feedback. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I went for a hike yesterday for that very reason. I'm like, I just need to go somewhere where there's no service and just put it down for a couple hours. And I'm finding as things pick up and become busier, that's just more and more important to hold that time and space for ourselves. It's necessary yeah, sure. in order to continue to, to do the kind of work that, you know, that I want to do and that I think that you're doing um, in the way that and you're doing you, it. If you think about it just in the most logical sense, I'm... I'm only going to have so much to give exactly if I don't replenish that. Well, you know, like I have same thing I say about sobriety and recovery. That's why feed your recovery every day. I do something to feed my recovery specifically, whether that is reading something in an online recovery magazine or being in my Facebook group, right? My podcast has a, a private Facebook group and it's so good to be in there and to actually get to engage with my listeners and mm -hmm. see what questions they have and what they're going through in their lives. But it feeds my recovery and I can only give if I've got, <laughs> so I have to take time and make sure I'm making those deposits exactly. so that I can continue to share it with everybody else. What kind of things do you like to do for fun? What's that look like for you? I'm such a nerd. Uh, I'm, really, <laughs> I'm, I'm really, I'm a tech nerd. You know, I build all my own websites. I love everything tech for sure. Uh, you know, I do a lot of public speaking on marketing and tech and addiction, of course. And I know all of that stuff supposedly is work, but that is kind of my fun too. It really mm -hmm. is. Uh, I love to go hiking. It's one of my favorite things. I am always working on Spanish. I speak Spanish pretty well, and I always want to be getting better at that. So I do different things with Spanish speaking groups to be practicing that. I love to cook. So that's something I play with a little bit. I don't like the cleanup part of cooking, <laughs> so I don't do it super often, but I do love learning how to make things that are better for my body, you know, mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm really, I have the, the two things I've really struggled with the last few years are food and finances. So those are two things I've put a lot of intention and purpose into working on within myself. I got really unhealthy with food. I come from a long line of food addicts and got super unhealthy and gained some weight and just felt really bad. So I've been retraining myself and my thought processes around food. So that's something where the cooking comes into is just learning things that aren't difficult to make, but that are so good to nourish my body, which is, I've never thought of food that way. Mm -hmm. I always equated food with pleasure. You know, like it was always an event, like going out to eat and spending time with friends and family. And it was its own extravaganza. And I never thought about actually nourishing my body, which is the point of food. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fuel and nourishment. Right. right. It's wonderful too, to start experimenting with, you know, cooking different foods that are healthy, because I think a big, a big barrier to overcome is like, now that you know what to make, you know what to buy to make it, it's become relatively easy to make. And it's this healthier, nourishing food. It's like, of course, you're going to make it more 
more frequently than if it's this kind of unknown of like, well, I don't know how to cook healthy. Um, so I think taking time to learn those like little baby steps of how can I make like a, a more healthy meal that's delicious and then getting a few recipes under your belt where you can put that together pretty quickly. I know that's helpful. Yeah, for sure. And for me, if I have to overthink it, that's where I'll get frustrated and I'll Mm -hmm. say F it and just go get something terrible because it's quick and easy and I'm tired of thinking about it. Yeah, You know, that is one of my barriers. So yeah, it's just been really good. And it's amazing too, how much, you know, I talk so much about micro decisions, you know, it's all your little tiny baby steps or micro decisions that you make throughout your day is really what creates your big picture. And we think it's the big profound decisions that we're faced with, but there aren't very many of those, you know, yeah. really the little tiny choices that we make that creates what kind of life we have and what kind of human we are. And one of the things that's been fascinating with me on this food journey is how much my self-esteem has been boosted by making those healthier choices, you know, and I get it in a logical sense. Like I understand that. I just did not understand how good it would actually feel to just take care of myself. And I think it's the same thing with recovery, right? Part of that is that you're just taking care of yourself. You're choosing to love yourself in those moments of going to a meeting or doing something to feed your recovery or choosing, like I just had my, you know, spinach and kale smoothie instead of a cheeseburger or whatever. (laughs) It's just amazing how much better you feel when you just make the choice to love yourself and do something good for yourself. 100%. And I like that you talked about actually feeling different. I work a lot with somatic experiencing and with bringing things into that felt sense arena. And I think when our bodies, I mean, I know this to be true, when our bodies actually start recognizing like, oh, I'm feeling good, I'm feeling better, it actually expands our capacity to feel good and to feel better. And then we want to go and do more of the behavior. And so getting that a little bit out of the logical mind and into the body of like, oh, this is, I'm really feeling good. It's so powerful for those two reasons, like it makes us want to do it more. And then we continue to just feel better and better, which is the point. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. You you get a little momentum and you want to keep going. It feels so good. And you know, one of my biggest uh, obstacles to overcome too is sugar. I'm Mm. crazy, crazy ice cream addict and and candy junkie for sure. It's a tough one. It's a tough one, but you know, what got me out of it was really thinking about how I would feel. Mm-hmm. And as I started to get busier and more travel and more speaking engagements and my podcast started growing like crazy, which I never even considered when I started a podcast, never even thought about it, that it, somebody might listen to it. <laughs> and I just was getting busier and busier. And I would think like I would have a craving for candy, whatever. I'm, I love gummy bears. And I would think, oh, I'd love to get some gummies. And I would think, oh man, like I can't afford to feel that way right now because as soon as I eat that, my energy plummets. I'm going to want to take a nap. And then it kind of messes me up emotionally. Sugar really messes with me. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I just can't, I don't have time to feel like that. Like I have too much to do and I want my energy to be high and I want to feel good. And that, that sense of how I would feel is really what helped me switch over to making better choices. That's wonderful. That's great too, to be able to relinquish um, some of the hold that sugar has on you because it is a tough one for a lot of people. 
Oh yes. Myself included. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and I remember when I was drinking too, and I've heard this from other alcoholics, I would always say like, oh, I don't have that much of a sweet tooth. Sugar's not a problem for me because right. I was just drinking, you drinking know, it, yeah. excessive calories and sugar. That's so funny because we do, so many of us talk about that. Like I have mm -hmm. that conversation all the time with my clients in private sessions where they're like, I never used to eat dessert. <laughs> like I never ordered dessert after dinner. And now all of a sudden I'm craving sugar. I'm like, mm -hmm. well, yeah, you yeah. were just drinking it and not eating it. Yeah, and your body gets used to it. What what kind of I know you mentioned that you're speaking a lot. What kind of events do you speak at? What are your some some of your speaking credit and your speaking engagements? Sure. So I speak at uh, a lot of tech things. So like I spoke at I don't know if you're familiar. I'm sure you are with the platform WordPress mm -hmm. uh, to build websites. So WordPress has conferences all over the country called WordCamp. And I've spoken at WordCamp uh, the last couple of years here in Kansas City as a self-taught entrepreneur, right? Because I build all my own websites and all of that. And it's nice to not be the person that went to school for it and has all that technical knowledge because people that are just starting out and really want some DIY mm -hmm. will come talk to me before they will go talk to, you know, the person that went to school for it and, and does it as a living. So I've done that. Um, I speak at a lot of leadership conferences, luncheons. I just did one last week, uh, women in leadership. Um, I'm speaking next week at global entrepreneurship week. Uh, I spoke last month, I think at, um, a huge addiction conference that goes on every year put on by uh, an organization called foundations to recovery. They have a lot of treatment centers and foundations has several conferences across the country and i just spoke at moments of change in palm beach which was amazing because that is actually one of the first conferences i went to as a brand new interventionist many years ago and i was in awe and it's huge i mean there's you know a thousand twelve hundred people at this conference every year and it just has been a a career dream to speak at moments of change. So I got to do that last month, which was pretty awesome. That's wonderful. It's so neat to see it come full circle like that. Yeah. It yeah, sounds it like, awesome. um, sorry. It sounds like you do a lot with marketing and entrepreneurs as well as part of your business. Um, do you, do you teach other entrepreneurs or is that something that you more speak on? Do you, cause I looked at, um, uh, we were talking about this again, your, uh, recovery toolbox website. And I noticed you have some coaching programs and one-on-one -on -one coaching and other things like that. But I'm curious if you work with other entrepreneurs around things like marketing and, and finances. Um, I definitely have, it's not a track that I offer. Mm -hmm. in my coaching, but I'll tell you what happens really, because I, I am an entrepreneur through and through. I mean, I have that personality 150% and that drive and that curiosity. And, and then I'm an addict on top of it. Right. So I have no off switch. <laughs> I <really> and, <laughs> so what has happened is I end up, I, I get a lot of entrepreneurs that struggle with addiction because we are like-minded on both sides of that coin. I think a lot of the tech stuff and marketing stuff that has come to me has just been a result of building my own social media. I do all my own digital marketing and, and that gets people's attention, right? Because they want to know how to do it. So mm -hmm. 
that is not something that I have seeked out necessarily. It just comes as it, as it's your experience and you're successful at it. People want to know how you did it. And it's funny that you asked that too, because I have, I hire coaches for everything, of course, because I'm a coach. So I have my own life coach and I have a marketing coach and I have a business coach and, and then I have a mentor, right. Um, for accountability and three of the four of those people have really been on me a little bit the last probably month about doing some more coaching with entrepreneurs and business coaching and things like that because because I've built my business to be successful online and uh, yeah and people are curious about it but it's not something that I have decided to Mm-hmm. Offer. I do have that knowledge if anybody wants it, but <laughs> I think a lot of people want it. And I think uh, as people come out of addiction and start kind of reclaiming their lives, and as you spoke to earlier, start really understanding that they, you know, have things to offer and are not just good people, but maybe really great people. They want to start working in different ways, whether that's with addicts or in some other realm of business. So I think there's a lot of, of need, even within the addiction community, as people are sober and expanding how they want to be in the world. Um, a lot of people I see do want to create their own businesses, you know, online or otherwise. So yeah, definitely. I see that a lot too. And I think it's been fun to work with other entrepreneurs with addiction because we do have a little different personality. You know, we do have a different drive and, Mm. and it's also hard, you know, most of us also control freaks and, and (laughs) overachievers and, you know, there are all these little pieces and it's, I think it's really hard when you can see yourself be so successful in so many areas of your life, but you have this one area that you just can't get a grasp on. And, that is its own challenge too, you know, so it's been fun to work with those kind of like-minded people as well. Absolutely. Um, And I'm curious too, just about your relationship with, with finances and with money throughout growing your business. I know we talked about this again a little bit before we turned the recording on. So I'd love to hear you speak more to it. Uh, what that's been like for you to create those mindset set shifts around being successful and around having money and being able to build a business. Um, I think a lot of times we shy away from talking about money because it's, I don't know, somehow like become a dirty concept or something, which I don't agree with at all. So I love to hear when people who are doing really well and who have built a business such as you, like what kind of mindset shifts did you, did you go through or do you continue to go through around being successful and, you know, financially successful? Yeah, well, like I said a little while ago, my two biggest things I've been working on the last couple of years have been food and finances. And what I realized with money is I had some really deep-seated money blocks, you know, limiting beliefs. And how it started to make sense to me was I, I've always kind of been on this roller coaster up and down, right? I have the ability to make a lot of money and live a great life. And somehow then I would always end up back at zero, always end up at square one going, what the heck happened? You know, like I had such good momentum and I thought mm-hmm. my life was changing and then it's all gone again. And, you know, this is a big 12 step thing. What's the common denominator? Of course, the common denominator and all of that is me. <laughs> I, I am always my biggest obstacle. So I just started to understand that it wasn't a situational issue, right? And again, as an entrepreneur, 
you know, I've had all these different businesses that I've started and some have started to take off and do really well. And then again, I would end up kind of back at zero and part of it was lack of knowledge. You know, I can only take myself so far. And, and that was part of my, my limiting beliefs too, is I was in such a scarcity mindset in a mindset of, I'm going to run out of money. There's not going to be enough money. I'm not going to be able to afford to pay my bills. Like always scared. There's not enough. And because that's how I grew up, you know, all of those messages, my whole life around money where there's not enough, we don't have enough. We're not like those people. Mm -hmm. We can't afford that. And in every business venture that I would start when it would get to that place where I needed to hire somebody to get me to the next level that's where I would falter because I was not willing to spend that money because I was so scared I was going to run out of money. And when you don't spend money because you're fearful of running out of money, what you're doing is you're taking yourself out of the money flow. Hmm. And if I want money to come around to me, I've got to be in the money flow. I've got to be putting money out if I want it to come back. And I, yeah, I've worked really, really hard on this the last two years for sure. And being dedicated to it every day and reading every book I can find and going on YouTube and searching abundance and abundance blocks and limiting beliefs. And, you know, it's very similar to all of those belief systems and those challenges are very similar to everything that we deal with, with addiction and what I deal with, with food, you know, those, those blocks are, are really, really similar, but I had to start recognizing how that scarcity mindset was in every piece of my life. You know, even as small as being at the grocery store and picking my peanut butter, like I'm not picking the peanut butter I like, I'm picking the cheapest peanut butter, Mm -hmm. you know, and wreck, it's just scarcity, scarcity, scarcity. And I was like, Angela, what? Like you're worried about saving 20 cents. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) get the damn peanut butter, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it's amazing how much in how many areas of my life that I was really putting out that negative energy. And of course, money's not going to come back to me if I'm putting out all that negativity and fear, you know? Yes. Yeah. I think getting over that can be a multi-step process. As you've mentioned, you've been working on it for a couple of years, but starting to recognize those, those small things of why am I trying, yeah, why am I trying to buy the cheap peanut butter when it's not what I want? Um, yeah, or with clothes. I went shopping last Friday for the first time in a while and I bought this cashmere sweater and I like to buy cashmere like once a year. Um, but it was so fun to just be like, yeah, this is great. I have money. I don't even have to like really think about it. It was kind of pricey. Um, but it was just really nice to, to recognize that. And I think that's another part of it too, is to recognize when we're when we are like in that nice flow and it feels like good and easy, um, as well as recognizing like when we're trying to be stuck in that old patterning or those limiting beliefs of, of scarcity. I like working with the duality on those, at least of myself and with my clients as well. Like notice when it does feel good so that we can, again, invite our bodies to feel more of that. Uh, are there any books that you recommend? I know you mentioned you, you were doing a lot of studying about um, money mindset and things like that. Are there any books or podcasts or anything that you would recommend for the listeners? I know this is a big topic for a lot of people. Yeah, I'll tell you my absolute favorite. And I listened to it as an audio book, which made it even more fun because she's freaking hilarious is Jen Sincero. She's great. She's great. And the book is you're a badass at making money. Mm -hmm. And 
that was such a great one for me. She gives a lot of exercises. At the end of every chapter, she gives you something to kind of practice and to shift that mindset. And I'm actually going to do a program myself on this too, because I have put so much energy into it. And interestingly, as I started speaking more openly about it, because one of the things I've learned as a result of my recovery too, is I can't hide what I'm going through regardless of what it is. And as an entrepreneur, there's a lot of instability in that anyway, you know, and some months I thrive and some months my dog eats and I don't, you know, <laughs> that's just kind of how it goes. Um, and, you know, there, I was telling one of the guys at my sober living house the other day, he was talking about his credit. And I said, dude, listen, I said, I have rebuilt and destroyed my credit so many times. It's stressful. It's heartbreaking, but all you can do is move forward and do the best mm -hmm. you can and learn what you can learn from it and create better habits. And, but I just, I can't hide what I'm going through regardless of if it feels embarrassing or if I feel like I'm failing myself in some way, like I know in those big issues, especially in the finances, right? There's a lot of kind of guilt and shame that goes with that stuff. And the more I reached out to my friends and said, listen, here's the position I'm in. It's not good. I've got $30 in my bank account. I haven't sold a single product in six weeks. Like I have no idea what's happening. Um, the more people were like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you brought this up to me because I go through the same things. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> like I'm, I'm not alone. And it takes a lot of that pressure off too. Absolutely. It does. I mean, I think that's why I'm 12 step fellowships work, you know, with the addiction model, it's because we just knowing we're not alone and money is such a big issue. It's like our ability to, to thrive, you know, is all wrapped up in the money. So it's, it's really a complex issue for people, for myself included, that gets wrapped into all different layers. So I think being able to kind of pick apart the layers. And I, I love that you mentioned she has exercises. I have, I've read her other book, You Are a Badass, but I think I'm going to yeah. go get this on audibly today. Cause it's been on I'm, my list. I'm telling you, I've read both. I listened to both mm -hmm. and uh, the money one, it's really the one. like, listen, I could listen to it over and over again. I mean, she's really funny. She tells great stories, but she makes it so relatable. And but just like you're saying, like there's so many layers to it and it's crazy, especially when you start hearing this is a really big thing in entrepreneurship too. You know, as your goals and your dreams get bigger and you're in a place of building and scaling your business and wanting to be bigger, people can react really negatively to that. I think especially when you're a helping professional because mm -hmm. there's almost this sense of if you're a helping professional, you should be giving it away for free. And I think I was telling you on a recent podcast of mine, I talked about all this and one of the things I said is, you know, you might look at an investment in coaching or a program, you might look at it and think it's really expensive, but you're not investing in just the person that I sit here as I am today. I've dedicated more than a decade of my life to have this knowledge and this skill set and this talent, right? I've invested over a hundred thousand dollars in my education and experience. So when you invest that big, absolutely, it's okay to get paid for what you do. 
other people aren't investing that big. Other people do it on a smaller scale, so they're on a smaller scale. But when you want to go big, mm-hmm. people can respond really strange to that. And I've definitely had to move away from certain people in my life that aren't supportive because they don't see that vision or hearing their messages about people with money are bad and people that have money are liars and cheats. And I'm like, wow, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's weird. I'm actually a really good human being, you know, whether I have a dollar or a million, I'm a really good person. Right. Uh, But all those messages, when you hear that stuff your whole life, like that's hard hard to overcome those things. It is. It's, it becomes hard to untangle. So I'm glad you mentioned that book and I'm glad we're talking about it. I think, like you said, just talking about it and the more conversations people openly have around it, I think that helps hopefully shift, shift it for, for, you know, more than one of us. Um, so Angela's we're wrapping up here. I don't want to keep you too long. Um, is there anything that you would like to share with the audience outside of what we've shared already? I like to give people kind of a, a soapbox, <laughs> if you will, <laughs> to stand on and then also let us know how we can find you. I know you've got the podcast and um, my recovery toolbox and I'll of course link everything in the show notes, but please let us know anything um, about yeah. yourself. Yeah. That you'd like to share. Sure. I would love for everybody to go follow me on Instagram uh, at Addiction Unlimited because I dedicated all of 2019 to building my Instagram. Um, That's awesome. That has has been a fun and extraordinarily frustrating journey. (laughs) That alone is a class right there for someone (laughs) or a coaching program. Spend a year building your Instagram. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, it just, it takes a while and there's a lot to learn. Again, if I would have hired a professional at the beginning of 2019, my Mm -hmm. Instagram would probably be farther along, (laughs) but I like to know everything. So of course I wanted to do it myself. And I think there is a certain there's a certain amount of that stuff that is invested, me being invested in my own business. I felt like it was really important for me to know how to write my own copy, to know how to communicate with my person that's listening to my podcast and seeking me out for help. I need to know what they're dealing with so I can better serve them. Mm -hmm. So it's important for me to know that stuff. It's important for me to be doing my own social media posts to, to see firsthand what people are engaging with and what they like and what they don't like. Like I need to know that stuff. And the 2020, I will definitely start hiring some of that stuff out because I just, I do way too much right now. Mm-hmm. But, um, but it's, it's been amazing and really good for me. And it keeps me connected to people. And, you know, that was one of the reasons I started my Facebook group is because I felt like lonely in my podcast world with my microphone. I was like, I want to talk to my people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was the solution. So that's a great place to find me too, uh, for addiction and recovery stuff, super supportive community, totally private. Um, that's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash addiction unlimited. Uh, and then my recovery toolbox for sure. And I always like to tell people too, there are a lot of free resources on that website. There are mm-hmm. some paid programs as well, but there is a ton of free information at myrecoverytoolbox.com too. Thank you so much. And I'll um, definitely link all those and I'll come over and check out your Facebook group as well. It sounds like a nice community. And, and I love that you started that group to have a conversation with your listeners because I'm sure they're thrilled to speak with you as well. 
Um, yeah, I like that so, idea. So fun. Yeah, it's been so fun. And it, and it did. I mean, podcasting is lonely. Entrepreneurship is lonely. Podcasting is lonely. And I remember like recording episodes and posting them and, you know, podcast statistics are challenging. They don't mm -hmm. give you a lot of information. <laughs> And I'm sitting there posting episodes and I have no idea what's going on. I'm like, I don't know if people are liking what I'm talking about. Like you right. just have no idea. And I was like, I just want to talk to my people. So yeah, I did the Facebook group. It's been incredible. That's great. Um, thank you so much for coming on. I feel like I could continue to talk with you, but we're, <laughs> we're running up thank on our you. hour. Um, yeah, it's been so nice to chat with you and it's a pleasure meeting you. I love getting to learn about other people and what they're doing too. Yeah, likewise.